Hi everyone, it's Tora Oda, and you're listening to Lunar Street. Our shared goal for this podcast is to create a public forum for second generation to discuss their opinions, form stimulating conversations about our movement, and to bring the ideas of the young people to the forefront of a wider conversation. On this week's podcast, Justin Toy and I will be speaking to Kayleigh Moffitt, former director of the EIM of Family Fed USA, and we will be talking to her about what her job was like before she got there. Hey, look, I'll take over and I'll fix everything because you guys aren't doing a good job. How she felt. And I felt that for the first few years, really frustrated and even like tearfully. So I remember being in programs. Oh, wow. And what we could do to make it better. What a revolutionary idea, making the Family Federation family center. I know, right? Once again, you'll be hearing some hodges sprinkled throughout the conversation and attempt to censor the profanity. It sounds something like this. I do! So if you hear some random hodges throughout the conversation, now you know why. Now without further ado, on to the programming. Hello everyone, you're listening to Luna Stream. I'm your host, Toya Nomura. Hey, what's up? And- hey, dog. <laughs> My homeboy. <laughs> Uh, hey, this is Justin coming in from Connecticut. Hey, what's good, Tora? Buenos dias. My name is Tora from Las Vegas. Hey, 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 and we have a very special guest with us today. We have our church's own Kaylee Moffitt, former YAM leader or coordinator, and now working with UPF. Say hello. Hi, everybody. I feel really honored to be here this morning. Thanks for having me. We- Honor to have you. <laughs> <laughs> so briefly, could you go over like what you did for YAM, what your what your job was like? Yeah, did you enjoy it? Yeah. So I came to headquarters in 2014, and I came in as the uh, National Youth Ministry Coordinator. And at that time, they were looking for someone to kind of oversee that area. And actually, I apply. I didn't apply. I contacted Susan, who's an HR person, and I said, I think the job description is wrong, and I think you should change it. <laughs> And then she said, oh, well, do you want the job? And I said, no way. I don't want, I never want to work for headquarters. I promised myself I never would. (laughs) I think many of us have said that maybe, you know, if you're working in a local community, that's like not where you want to go. But anyways, after a few experiences, I realized, you know, this is something I could do. I really care about youth ministry. I really care about youth pastors. And I always felt as a youth pastor, like this is such an important area that most of our senior pastors don't understand or don't like really respect and integrate into the community. So I did that for a few years, just working with youth pastors. And really my goal was to support, uh, you know, with resources and like a network of youth pastors who could finally talk to each other and start speaking the same language with each other. What I started to see is that there were, you know, great ideas over here and over here and over here and over here, but there was no way to share them with each other. And so that was really my goal that came out of that. And I loved it. I always said it was the best job ever working with youth pastors. I mean, you guys all know what that's like. (laughs) So it's the best crew. And then a few, a few years in now Kimi became the, I don't know what it was called. Anyway, some kind of youth and young adult director. Tazna came on board as a young adult ministry leader, and we started working together. We got Lena in on children's ministry, did some crazy things. And eventually, when Naokimi was asked to uh, fill some other roles, and I stepped up as the AM director. And I did that for two years, about two years, I think. It's all a blur at this point. But to your question, I absolutely loved it. Honestly, I really think mm. best job ever, best experiences ever. I really loved it. Wow. Wow. That's surprising. I was, it was a slog, uh, but the only thing that kept me through was my fate. <laughs> constantly thought of quitting no that's great yeah because especially like in a position with such responsibility like that and overseeing so many things and 
uh, people and uh, especially you know the fragility of faith when you were work, working with them in that role like I feel like it, it presents a lot of challenges but also you know I just felt like it could have been also very draining at times too I mean don't get me wrong that there were draining moments for sure and well <laughs> you know the first time we had one of those big mm. uh, peace starts with me workshops where like I had to ask all the camp leaders to bring their camps together I don't know if you guys remember that but that was the Hyojung workshop we did at Manhattan Center, we slept on the floor mm. in Manhattan Center. It was rough. And after the conclusion of that, I told Naokimi, I was like, I'm never, ever doing this again. I, this was like such a difficult experiences. I mean, incredible moments. We got to see Mother. She was really inspired by us. But other than that, I never wanted to do it. And then we did like five more right afterwards. So uh, <laughs> wow. you got to watch what you say. Spirit World wow. takes it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, jumping right into it, it was, yeah, as you were saying, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbow. So what were what were like the areas you felt like just struggle city? There's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think like a lot of it depended on where I was at. And so I think for the most part, I try to be authentic in my faith. And so if I'm struggling, I can sense, you know, you can sense when you're off with God. And I kind of treat it like I need to have a battle with God right now. Like I need to... I stay up late. I go on long walks at night to try to get straight with God. And so I notice the more that I do that and the more that I find peace inside myself with God, then I can approach the difficult situations a little differently. But, you know, I think the big challenges are kind of how headquarters works. You know, things don't move as quickly as you want. And there's so many priorities for headquarters, understandably so, that it's like, how do we how do we get this thing on the table? You know, how do we bring this to the table? And I felt that for the first few years, really frustrated and even like tearfully. So I remember being in programs, oh, wow. like crying. And now Kimi and Tazna sitting next to me, crying because it felt like we weren't our offering was not being received, and we weren't mm, being by the community or by the headquarters. By headquarters. Oh, wow. um, I re- actually this is a pretty pivotal pivotal mobile moment for me and our team was after one workshop we were sitting in like a victory celebration and we just like weren't being recognized and you know I cried during that and now Kimi like you know put his arm around me and Tazna just like squeezed our shoulders to let us know like I get it and we went out to this you know Asian restaurant and we're all (laughs) we're just like crying while we're eating our sushi you know (laughs) and what he said was really beautiful he repented because he realized as a central figure he wasn't doing his part to make a way for our offering to be received And he realized he needed to really grow and change in his relationship with Dr. Kim. And I I don't remember who was the president after, maybe it was Damien by then. Um, Mm -hmm. But so he realized his own growth needed to happen there. And it shifted something for me, it shifted something for our team, where Mm -hmm. it became more about becoming one in heart with with our leadership. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you guys have seen it, right? Like the young people in the last few years, we just blew up. And it's because of that shift in heart where that struggle stopped happening. We, in our Tuesday leaders meetings, YAM became the most important part of the meeting at a certain point where like we had the most exciting news. So the struggles were there, but I, my point was like the more authentic I became in the stuff I need to overcome, 
-hmm. it kind of represented mm -hmm. the whole group, the whole Yayang world, and I could make that offering because of it. But you were doing this with very young kids. That yeah. must have been challenging. Do you also have a, a side gig, another job other than what you do for headquarters? I don't. Oh, Lord. I don't know how I could do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I work as an assistant pastor right now. Uh -huh. Um, and I've been doing that for maybe six months, but I am trying to transition out of that. I, if you've noticed, I've kind of been in a transition place. So uh, mm. finally now got assigned to UPF. So that's where I am. That's a full-time job. <laughs> well, yeah. Balancing family and head headquarter jobs is not exactly the easiest thing because the church doesn't ask for some of your life when you become a leader in the church. They're like, we need all of you. Yeah. <laughs> All of the time. <laughs> like, man, is it difficult? I've had interesting experiences uh, being like, yeah, I'm not willing to do that unless I can bring my wife. And then it's just like, well, then you're you're not going to be at that event. <laughs> it's just like, wow. it's tough. So I can't imagine having little kids that you got to worry about and trying to balance being a good mom and a good spouse at the same time as managing the national yeah, yeah branch of the church. It's just like, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, you know... I got this, and everyone else in the world can't see it, but I got this beautiful notebook that Sun Hua made me for leaving. And it's basically like, you know, letters oh. and pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was going through it, and like 80% of the photos, me leading mm -hmm. workshops, mm -hmm. I'm holding a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. It's a blur for me, but I think I hear you on that, Justin, that like that was, I think for our generation, that's really important that we're not sacrificing our family for the church. That's kind of how it was in, in our parents' yeah. generation, but we have to carve a new pathway. I found space to do that. I mean, I had no choice. If I'm nursing a baby, I can't leave them at home. If I have to lead a mm -hmm. workshop, I'm bringing my four-month-old baby with me. I'm wearing the baby the whole time. And I, it was really hard, but I did it and I could see how it made a change uh, or I was always pregnant. And Dr. Kim would make this joke. He's like, you're, you always have a baby inside or outside. You know, that's, that's who, <laughs> who I was to him. <laughs> and I only have three kids, but in the span of their lifetime, you know, they're always involved. But one, you know, one victory here is like, because of my experience as a mom trying to navigate this, we could bring some new ideas to the table. So for instance, the last YAM summit we had in person, we had a whole family program, right? Where we had a children's workshop and a teen's workshop and you bring your spouse, we even had like programs just for spouses to talk with each other. To me, that was revolutionary. And it was because of my experience, right? Our experience as leaders, we wanting to involve our family. So I think we can make the change, but it's going to take time. What a revolutionary idea, making the Family Federation Family Center. I know, right? <laughs> It's such a pain. There's such a painful irony around that for me because it's like so many of our things. Like that's why I told uh, when I was asked to go to Korea, and then I said, "Okay, I'm willing to go, but my wife has to come with me." Mm. And they were like, "Oh, she can't come." I'm like, "No, I'll pay for her and stuff." They're like, "No, she, she she can't come." And I was just like, "But we're the family federation. You want me to leave my family behind?" Yeah, no, that's yeah, not. That's exactly that's what, what I want. To see. I'm it's sorry strange. for that. It's strange. So, and I've often felt like uh, a lot of first gen have this perspective of you have to sacrifice your family for the providence, and it's like your family is the providence. Exactly. What, what are you? What are you talking about? We create the kingdom of heaven by creating blessed central families. Like that's exactly. People yeah. always point to true parents, and and they're like, oh, well, true father. It's like, yeah, he's the Messiah. Get off your high horse. What are you talking about? <laughs> and father has instructed us right to build ideal families. So exactly. He's not asking us to walk the same course as him, but we want to have the same heart. Heart, but we don't have to make the same sacrifices for sure and i think that's yeah. i feel like that's the, the biggest dissonance that's 
within first and second gen in a way first gen expect second gen to just give up everything almost and just <laughs> plow their way but yeah it's so hard to because we we don't even have the opportunity to find our face sometimes so yeah. like most of the time so I think it's really frustrating not being understood on that level so when you were working in headquarters right you're not surrounded by your peers let's say you're surrounded by people who are generally older than you maybe of the male variety <laughs> and um I, I imagine that there's egos at play there's you know people who are stubborn or unwilling to you know be open and communicative so i mean what was that like working with those types of people yeah especially as a young woman that was hard i mean the first few years at headquarters to be honest i kind of tuned it all out i also worked from home right which was really mm -hmm. unusual in those days everybody was in new york or new jersey and when i came on there was some resistance to bringing me on because i lived in maryland and i wasn't going to move because that was just so unusual but you know i had kids and my parents are here my in-laws are here and there's no way i'm ever moving it doesn't make sense mm. so i kind of paid the pathway there and i tuned out a lot of it like you tuned it out as in you just it, you just put on like blinders pretty yeah. much I, and I kind of, you know, I think you guys all experience this in the youth realm, right? You sometimes feel like you're on your island and you're going to do your thing and you're going to do your best to unite and understand, but you know what you're doing is important and you're going to keep doing it. Okay. And so that was kind of, okay. I put my head down and I sent my reports in and I got good feedback and I just mm -hmm. did my thing, which it was actually really cool because... I didn't have a boss for the first few years. Susan, oh, wow. the, the HR director was my boss. She's just like an auntie and she's like a mom figure in their mm -hmm. Belvedere community. So she understood and mm -hmm. I could do what I felt was most important. It was only like, you know, when now Kimi started his role change and he became the director of YAM that I had to show up more at the national level, like in meetings mm -hmm. and with leaders. And that was really hard, especially I'm like as American as you can get. And oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't vibe with like the Korean attendance and like when we have <laughs> when we have the meetings it's like thank you this person and this person like you always have to mention their names but I have no relationship with them so those kinds of things were really hard for me <laughs> mm. And I found like my voice was not always welcome at the table you know if I wanted to speak up why did you feel that was I think well one I think it's a confidence issue um I think as a young woman, you know, you're sitting at a table with 60 year old men or older, and you're like the one young woman at the table. It's super intimidating mm. to find your voice. I and then imagine why. <laughs> and when I would finally speak up, you know, my heart is like beating and, yeah. I'm, and I say it and then mm. I sit back and I'm like, crap, why did I say that? That was such a stupid thing to say, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. I I feel so privileged because I, I had a very similar experience. So I was sitting around, I was, a, I was in the Dominican Republic and there's all these, you know, 70s and 90s, 80s year old people talking about this meeting. And uh, then I'm like, okay, so I present my idea. And then they start talking about me like I'm not there. Like, she's like, how can we trust him? He's an wow. blah, blah, blah. And then I was just like, uh, I can hear you like because as like a six foot five man. I just don't really have that like fear of other people that a lot of people have uh, when it comes to like stage fright and stuff. I just mm. I just I've never really been afraid of people, even like when my mom would try to punish me as a kid. I'd often be like, <laughs> tend to be hurt because otherwise she'll do something worse. <laughs> I would be like, oh, oh, my arm. <laughs> like mm. So. Yeah, I just didn't have any fear of being like, uh, excuse me, Biatch, I can hear you talking about me like I'm not here. And she was like, well, you might as well not be. And it, it was like so much salt was being thrown around and I was just so immune to it. I just 
Wow. I just couldn't care less. And it was like, you all can unite with me or not, but uh, I'm doing right by these kids one way or another. I just think that's really interesting hearing what it's like to be for you being so nervous and feeling like, oh, I shouldn't say what I'm saying. And, you know, is am I doing what's right? And you were probably older than me at the time. I was like 22 or something when I was in that meeting. Yeah, I was probably like 26. So besides the fact that like maybe, you know, getting your ideas across was a struggle and maybe, you know, them not being receptive to it. But was there anything else where you were like fervent or like very adamant about something and they just said no? And they just didn't want to hear like what you had to say or they just shut you down completely. My experience time and time again is Mm -hmm. like the youth realm up until the last few years was not that important as part Mm -hmm. of the conversation. Like there were the priorities and then there was the youth realm. And so the stuff I really cared about was the youth, right? So Mm -hmm. it, it didn't matter as much when the leadership changed and when things started changing, I cared a lot more. But there was this, by then, there was a space for me to be involved and have a personal relationship with the leaders. And that made a huge difference. I really felt that disparity of like, not so much now, but, you know, years ago, not so many years ago, but, you know, a few years ago now, where it was just like the youth were just not on the table. They just didn't matter. And if they were mentioned, it was mobilizing the youth to pad numbers at an event. So where does this like desire for like taking care of the youth, caring for the youth, like come from? you Mm. well you know i was a youth pastor in my local community for 10 years right and when you watch some yeah you remember right (laughs) Tolia? particularly when you watch someone go from middle school to graduating high school Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you love that kid and when you've seen them go through their experiences and have these personal moments of sharing and seeing their struggles and their family Mm -hmm, you really develop a parental heart and Mm -hmm. i think because of that i really grew and i really changed So by the time I finished that time of my life and moved to headquarters, that was what I was bringing. And I I knew me as a leader, it was really hard. I had some really difficult moments where I wanted to give up and I didn't feel supported, but I still knew it was important. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to fight to represent that voice and make sure we were taking care of these incredible young leaders who are doing incredible things in their community. It goes without saying that we we appreciate what you've done and everything. And I, f- I feel like we have we have felt the trickle down effects in some ways, but I feel like I feel like even then it's just like there could be more done and everything. But it's also just frustrating seeing that there's still so much disparity within trying to communicate our needs and then mm-hmm. not having them like heard, right? Because in a lot of communities, it's just there's still not like a set standard, right? You can experience the same thing no matter what, where, which community right. you go to. Some communities are just better, like Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's honestly like the cold hard truth. Like some communities are blessed with a lot of blessed children, but then other communities, there's only a couple of families and maybe one or two children. And it. it's really, it's really sad because we, me, Toya and Justin, we've all been into those kinds of communities where we came from Southern Virginia and that community was very, very small. And then we only, we literally only had each other to lean on. And then when we see like, you know, New York, even to a certain extent, like Northern Virginia, because they have like, they live near other communities. So that's right. like really helped them a lot. But we had nobody to see the the amount of growth that we've seen in Yam and all this national effort. It's really uh, assuring, at least for me, to see that mm-hmm. growth, especially now that I live in uh, Las Vegas, where there's the community is like a lot bigger, hundreds of people come to service and lots of other youth group And especially because there's carp here too. So (laughs) I can see the difference and it really sucks to be in that small community. I wanted to use this opportunity to ask you like, 
I know we talked about how there's been struggles, even even at headquarters, which Loki kind of surprised me, like how much resistance there is between the second gen leaders and the first gen leaders. I wanted to ask when you were met with that struggle, how did you deal with it? How did you work through that? And if you had some advice to give to someone who's struggling in that same situation, what would you tell them? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And somehow I've become like the person to be asked that. I get asked that question a lot. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I look like I'm like fully united with my elders or they trust me. I'm not sure, but I'll take it. You know, for me, in my testimony there is like the struggles I was sharing earlier were from a certain point in, in my time at headquarters. But a shift started to happen for me when I saw Damien really uniting with Dr. Kim. It was something I had never seen before. And for the, you know, we've always talked about vertical alignment and how, you know, your vertical line really matters and you need all those stages to get to true parents and all that. But I never felt it, right? I never felt the love pouring through or the energy pouring through. There was blockages along the way. And I remember just this experience seeing, you know, Damien had a, a, a moment on a mountain in Korea where he got told him the most important thing is to unite with Dr. Kim. And I remember he made that announcement to the nation and everyone was shocked because that was not Damien's nature, right? He's very like strong and American, but he went through his course and made his unity with Dr. Kim. And because of that, I gave it a shot. Like my heart was really touched. And I, I told Damien, like, look, I see you're sincere and I see you're fully united. I really see Dr. Kim is fully united with True Mother. So those are two things I can check off in my vertical line. And then I want to offer myself now as a part of that. And so this experience working with both of them and developing a personal relationship changed my life because what I learned was the principle. I learned that my job was to be an object, not to obey, not to just do what I'm told, but to understand their heart and to really listen and think about and like meditate on what's on their heart. And the more I did that, the more my perspective started to change and they could sense it. That's what was interesting is they could both sense it, which is why I started to get, you know, recognized more often, not because I'm a good, I've always been a good leader, I think, but <laughs> they could see my heart was changing and I was more open. And then all of a sudden, everything I cared about became one of the most important things on the table. And it was that artistic relationship. So my last few years at headquarters, I felt totally confident in bringing my voice to the table. And I felt I could interrupt at any time. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, call Dr. Kim or Damien or the sub-regional directors and say, hey, here's, here's what I think. Here's what I'm noticing. And they would really listen. So my advice there is like, my job as a younger person in this situation is to first try to understand their heart, is to really like, you know, all their imperfections aside, all their, you know, lack of organization, or they lose their temper, or if they're just like not on top of it, whatever it is, I got to put that aside and just first understand their heart. And if I can do that, then they're going to feel safe enough to bring me to the table. I think a lot of times actually our leaders are intimidated or scared, or, you know, they're doing the best they can. Like these are not trained leaders. <laughs> They're trained by true parents, but like, you know, a lot of them didn't go to school and like they haven't had life experiences. They joined the church young. So they're just making it up as they go for the last 40 years. <laughs> so when they see these young, capable leaders, we have all these ideas and we know how to use Google Docs. Let me tell you about that. But, you know, those kinds of things are intimidating and scary. 
And we can come across a little bit like, hey, look, I'll take over and I'll fix everything because you guys aren't doing a good job. That's something on us. I mean, I'm sure we've all felt that at moments, right? No. <laughs> no, especially not you, Justin, right? Uh. <laughs> but the point there is like, if I can come in with a heart of really understanding, a heart of unity, artistically, then all my other practical stuff, all the things that are important to me suddenly get put on the table. And it's because of that heart of unity that I made. Wow. So it's almost like you have to give up some of your control to unify. I wouldn't say control. Maybe it's control. I mean, we all know the surrender concept, right? But it's like, you got to give up your pride a little bit. To work together and unite. I, I think that's really interesting because that's something that I've often found really difficult is because uh, I'm so so focused, so laser focused on what I'm trying to do right. for my little part of the community that it's yeah. really hard to like, does my central figure need from me and how can I support them with my community in a way that empowers both communities, right? That is uh, the question. You got to like highlight that and replay it. That was powerful. Right. It will right. change our life if we think that way. Oh, that's intimidating, man. It's scary because <laughs> it's like, I have to yeah. trust that they also want the best for my community. Yeah. But if you think about it practically, right? Let's say removing like the concept of faith. I feel like it's it's just so strange because if you're in a leadership position, right, you should have the wherewithal to make the first commitment to be like right. reach out, right? It just seems so counterintuitive that we yeah. have to go this way. And I mean, it makes sense in, in a way, but it's just like, if I have good ideas and I bring them to the table, they should have this understanding that this person really cares about this because I put them in that position and they're bringing me X, Y, Z. But then they just refuse to listen to those ideas and just say, no you must unite with me or whatever, or like, you know, use this BS. So I just think, although what your explanation is very like nice and like very like, wow, I can look up to that. I just feel like in most people's struggles or most people's, you know, day-to-day routine, they look at it from like a person to person. I am me and then Justin is himself. And if I'm talking to him in our relationship like that, and even though there is some kind of power dynamic, I feel like there should still be that like underlying respect towards one another, right? I have to make so much effort to connect with my leader, but then my leader holds the most responsibility out of all of us, but can't make the effort to do that same. There's something about that rubs me the wrong way. Well, totally. What what you're speaking to is straight up like a Cain Abel relationship, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the feeling of like my Abel figure is not doing a good job. They're not taking care of me, basically. Like they're the leader. They should Mm -hmm. reach out. But you're right. I mean, you are right. And so I think all of us, right, if we're Abel figures, I think we're very sensitive, right, to taking care of our team. Mm -hmm. It's something that comes naturally to second generation, I've noticed, is that they're more hyper aware of that. I don't know if that comes from our experiences growing up in the church or just a generational change. What it comes down to still is principle, right? This Abel and Cain relationship and what that's supposed to be like. And I was just watching a lecture on Cain and Abel from Dr. Wilson. And his point was God told him to make God Abel an offering and told Cain to make an offering. But actually God's heart was that Abel would be wise enough and mature enough to notice that, oh, I should also help my brother to do this, right? Not just focusing on myself. And so Abel didn't fulfill his responsibility there. He didn't become one in heart with God. He didn't see from God's perspective Mm -hmm. and naturally extend it to take care of his brother. That's true. And so that's true of some of our leaders is that they're not quite there yet. They're still growing and working on their restoration, Mm -hmm. but I can't change that. I can't change that person. And so it's extremely frustrating. That's when I have to take my long walks at night, talking to myself, looking like a crazy person Mm -hmm. and battle it out. Mm -hmm. And, but then what it comes down to is me in a cane role. What's the Mm -hmm. best I can do. And what I have found guys 
is it's the not the ideal path, right? It's not the fun path. But when I really love my able figure and understand their heart, I see their heart change. I saw it with Damien. Like if I loved him and just what I would text him every day and be like, Damien, what can I do for you today? That was literally what that was my mantra in life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the trust came and his heart towards me changed. And he really, in meetings, all of a sudden, he would be like, Kayla, what do you think? You know, I'm at a table with 70 year all the SRDs. Like, what? I don't belong there, right? <laughs> so somehow I started showing up at those mm. meetings, but it was because I changed my heart and I won okay. his heart and the relationship shifted because wow. of that. That sounds like good advice for even jobs. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is just... Do your best to fulfill your portion of responsibility and uphold your end of the deal. Yeah. And if we do it successfully, like right. the cherry on top is it's going to change our, our able figure too. They will be better because mm. of it. I know it's tough. It's not easy. I still struggle with it too. Because sure, but... <laughs> it's, it's like, it's really easy to like say, but then to do, because you have to like catch yourself constantly and be like, exactly. where am I? Where am I? What am I doing? And like, I think it's really frustrating. And especially if you haven't practiced it at all. And now you're suddenly put in the spot where you're like, and I, you know, I'm applying the same thing in my UPF life right now where Dr. Jenkins, I don't know if you guys know him, but he's this incredibly strong leader. Right. But because of my experience at headquarters, I knew I had to start with the heart of unity and Mm -hmm. it's been incredible. Like you guys, this UPF team, (laughs) God bless them. They're like working with presidents and sitting congressmen and amazing leaders, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they don't know how to use Google Docs. And they're sending out like version three, version four of the same Word doc and email over and over. And so they have to sift through their emails and find the most you know, updated one with the list they need. And, you know, the first day I was like, I promise you, if we learn Google Docs, we can, this will change your life, you know? Right, and right. like, yeah, 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 yeah. But because of this unity with Dr. Jenkins, I sat with him for an hour to teach him Google Doc. And now the next meeting we had, he had the whole team open up their laptops and he taught them Google Docs. Like it's, oh, it's wow. changing. It's a miracle. It's a really <laughs> big deal. The old dog can learn new tricks. <laughs> right. Did you face any like discrimination at like being a being a woman? Not overt or like discreet. Yeah, not so much at headquarters. And I wouldn't say maybe the more discreet version is like the the sensitivity of the woman's point of view, which is really different. Mm-hmm. So for instance, our church is so focused on goals right now. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly been struggling with that. I think many of us have all these numbers. Mm. The mom's point of view, right, is like, we need to bring people together. We need to like Mm. feel united and loved and taken care of. And that voice doesn't always feel like there's a space, right? Like we need to do this. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that when we get time, you know, or after we Mm. do this. But that's not the point. That's not God's heart. We should do both of these things at the same time. So I wouldn't Mm. say discrimination, um, but I would okay. say like a lack of respect for this sensitivity and this point of view. I just find that interesting because being at headquarters, right, it's mostly just old men. It's great that you didn't face anything like that. I just, you know, the possibility was there. So I know those before me right. who were more, you know, like I know Crescentia and Mari mm-hmm. in their course, they they would cry in meetings or something and be kind of chastised for that, something like wow. that. Okay. But I mean, if you know me, I cry in meetings all the time or in reports all the time and it's acceptable. (laughs) You know, I've never been (laughs) chastised for that. So I feel really grateful for those who came before me. I was talking to one of my trusted first gen uh, in my community. And then we were talking about how there's two types of leaders. There's one leader who always wants to have goals, meet these numbers, and then 
a lot of objective-based stuff. But then there's another leader who's focused on that unity, the mm. for, focus on the emotional side. And what I realized is like, there's a lot more of the objective-based, that kind of yeah. just numbers, hit numbers, hit providential goals, all these things. But there isn't a lot of the emotional side leaders. And uh, I like to think that I'm one, I'm one of those emotional type leaders. Yeah. But I believe that we should have more it's not like one is more important than the other we just need both working towards the same goal at the same time yeah but there's just this over representation of the one objective based one and i just feel like we need more we need more i'm you're absolutely right there because i mean one thing that maybe most people don't get to see is i i see we always think of it as old Mm -hmm. men at headquarters right but i (laughs) i see it really changing and I'm in those meetings and half of them are second gen mm-hmm. and close to half of them are women. And, mm-hmm. you know, every sub-regional director is an old dude, except for now Kimi. But right under them is a young person. You know, right. most of them are women, too. And so I see that's the, basically the VP of a sub-region. Mm-hmm. And so I see the awareness changing. And I see, like, you know, the next time we appoint new sub-regional directors, it's going to be a game changer. Like, the, mm-hmm. it's going to be really different. And slowly the culture is changing. So there is hope. It just mm-hmm. takes time, which we as young people are not patient. So it's hard. <laughs> right. Because I think it's just like a majority of our lives, we've seen the status quo never break. And it's right. just trying to break through that. It's, and like trying, trying, but always not seeing the results is really frustrating. Especially so need, in a local yeah. community, right? You ne- mm-hmm. It doesn't change mm-hmm. in a local community. And I'm speaking just to like the top level. If right. we get down to local communities, it's a lot blurrier. I will say there's more young district pastors popping mm-hmm. up, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And so the next layer is going to be hopefully all the state pastors are young people. And then I think that's going to really shift the culture. Do you think pastors should have term limits? Uh, interesting. <laughs> right. Because I mean, think about it, right? They're there because they're there, but then also no one new steps up, right? So you have kind of like this ambiguous kind of under expectation that they'll be there forever. Yeah. And so you're not really fostering the growth of new pastors. Yeah. Especially if true mother appoints them, right? Right. <laughs> they stay there forever. What do you think Yayam could have done to kind of help facilitate more of like second gen being more active in like taking, you know, leadership roles in the community? Yeah. I mean, no one wants to be a pastor. I mean, very rare second gen want to be pastors, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the hard part is like a lot of us would love to do yay am, but none of us would love to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I that was a certain thing we started to mm-hmm. notice where like, at what point do we pop the yay am bubble and have us actually come to the forefront as leaders? And mm-hmm. I started to see that for myself, that my heart changed. So I was willing to take any kind of role and step up. And that was a maturity thing for me. I think we could be leaning more towards education that is mature faith. You know, I spoke a mm-hmm. lot about taking care of young people and yay am, and that's what I was focusing on. But mm-hmm. I could have been talking about bigger things, right, as a bridge. And I, I did that sometimes, but I think that's something we could improve for the future. So how has your husband played a role in all your your leadership endeavors, because it's usually the opposite, right? The, right. It's usually the husband doing all the sexy stuff and then the wife <laughs> supporting, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure I would describe my job as sexy, but <laughs> my husband is incredible. Um, you know, he has his own job. He's a physical therapist, so he works full time. And, you know, he has 100% been supportive of my public work since we began. We, you know, we met in the youth ministry realm. And so we led youth ministry together when we were first together. Mm -hmm. And I think it became a natural part of our life. 
And we really, I mean, he will tell you that our life has been benefited by my public work. Really? Um, absolutely. Oh, and, and he knows it's important. And, you know, in a community, just the other day, this random lady, um, some mom sent me a box of earrings, you know, because oh, okay. she saw when I'm on service, I'm always wearing dangly earrings and I do love <laughs> earrings. So it's like little moments like that where mm. people just love you and support you and mm. take care of you. And, you know, we... My husband and I, for the last you know year maybe, we've been doing conditions together for our role. And he, he started to shift to say, this is our offering. This is our role. Because we started to experience that the growth I was experiencing was the growth mm. he was experiencing. And oh. we started to do it together instead of me just going off and doing public work. A lot of that has to do with our relationship. We're very, you know, we're best friends. We're, we love to talk every night, even if I had a crazy work day or he had a crazy work day, we'll stay up and talk with each other. And because of that, I think he could feel one in heart with all the experiences and mm. he felt like he was experiencing it himself. And he's a great dad. If I have to go on a trip, he'll be happy to take a day off work and spend the day with the kids. And yeah, he's got a good attitude about it all he's never once complained about my trips or my work or anything okay. like that he's been really supportive wow. and i'm not just saying that it's it's real he's a pretty amazing guy he's been your rock to kind of lean on and also absolutely been there to support you said he changed his views to say our offering right so right. in the beginning what was like doing your public work how has your husband's support changed i mean he is generally he's a really nice guy if you know him so like he's right. a generally supportive person mm -hmm. and um was happy to support me with whatever but it wasn't like he wasn't experiencing his the same type of growth that I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it's because I, I wasn't quite translating it, right? I wasn't quite talking about it and making it relevant to our mm -hmm. life. And I remember mm -hmm. a few years ago, after one of mother's speeches, we just had this like breakdown conversation of like, we need to be serious about who true parents are to us. Like it's oh, now wow. or never. And, you know, I think we all experience the moments where like, you know, who true parents are, but like, you sort of care, you, they're important, right. but like, it, yeah, you know, <laughs> so I think that was kind of the place that he was at. And honestly, I was at even as a leader, like I, I, I didn't quite break through there until the last few years. And so we shifted to really being serious about true parents, it coincided with our children being old enough to learn about true parents. And mm -hmm. so we started to mm -hmm. do every night we do a family closing where we read a little Hunda K and we do a bow and, you know, we say what we're grateful for, for the day, that kind of thing. And so we, we shifted right to really being owners and claiming that for our family. It's been beautiful. It's been messy, been real yeah. messy too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's why I say like this work has changed my life and changed mm -hmm. my marriage and changed my families. Cause it's really pushed us to face wow. it. Right. And take it mm -hmm. seriously. What would your advice be to the young couples out there doing public mission as well? I think, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. the more we can do it as a family, the better mm -hmm. we're going to be for it, even though it's hard, like bringing your, your spouse and your children to come to the programs, fighting what just on experienced, right? Showing up <laughs> with your spouse and right. making a stand for that is really important because otherwise what can happen is the spouse grows and has these incredible experiences, but the one who's at home mm -hmm. kind of feels left out and feels jealous or feels like the church is stealing their spouse. Mm -hmm. I know some couples who, you know, if they couldn't go together, right, they'd go out, but the moment they'd come back, they'd sit and they'd, you know, talk about every detail so that they could kind of inherit that together. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Otherwise we leave our family behind 
my children know about Yayam. They don't quite understand what it is. They just think it's like an organization. I remember I took my kids to the rally in LA mm-hmm. and, you know, you, there's like thousands of people there. My daughter goes and she says, mom, you're leading this workshop? And I was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm leading a much smaller workshop. But that was her thinking like, wow, my mm. mom does such cool stuff with all these nah. people. <laughs> Wait, so yeah. Sweet. How do you explain to your kids, like when you have to go on business trips or when you have to do, you know, God's work? The way I explain it to them is like, you know, when you guys have a hard time, mommy has to stay with you and love you and take care of you and talk you through your feelings and help you Mm, feel better, like that kind of thing. And I explain like, I'm going on this trip because I want to help other people too. Mommy's going to help them, you know, feel closer to God and know how important they are. Mm. And they can jive with that because they experience it with me, right? And they know that that's really, if mommy's not around for those moments, they're really missing her. So I think that's the extent they can have that they, they can understand. I want to bring it back to our struggles with the communities, with the small communities. Yeah. And I know, I don't know if there is any push in the headquarters or anything to address the struggles that small communities have. Communities, I'm talking about, you know, less than 10 families, right? Yeah. Is there anything that we could do for these communities? Because it's a real struggle. It was like absolute really struggle. Like if it wasn't for me personally, if it wasn't for Toya and Justin, then I wouldn't like cared about the church whatsoever. Mm. I would have maybe had some more school friends or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but like, or do you have any ideas of what we could do right. for these? That's a tough question. I think I also came from a large community, right? So mm-hmm. I never really understood it until I started working at a national level and I would do these one-on-one check-ins with youth pastors. Right where like one person sticks out, which is Aimi Asanuma, who had two high school students in her community. And yet she still did youth group on the regular. Mm. And it blew my mind about the quality of what she was doing. Because honestly, when I would have one or two kids show up at a youth group program, I'd cancel youth group and we'd go have ice cream. Like I just, I wouldn't Mm. even worry about education. And that's kind of my arrogance, right? But I was really moved by her and many others who did similar things. And I think as a leader, it's about awareness, understanding Mm -hmm. what that's like. So I am noticing more people stepping up who are from smaller communities. For instance, my replacement in Yayam, Catherine, comes from a very small community and she grew up more like that. So that voice gets represented at the table. Many of the SRCs, or at least in previous time, grew up in smaller communities. So I think it's it's about getting the voice at the table. And I saw that like when the, I don't remember if, I don't know if you remember the offering table that headquarters was doing where there were like a billion goals, right? For right. all of us to achieve. And the voice that came through was that for small communities, that's just ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what came back was just choose one, right? Just choose one offering And the beautiful thing that came out is they would have this weekly call where each region would offer a testimony just of something great that's happening. And you got to see a lot of the smaller communities offer their humble ideas and their great, sweet programs that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like COA from some city in Texas has been doing this paper crane folding thing, right? Where she's been Mm -hmm. collecting cranes and giving it out to people, which is adorable. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like 
no, you know, this big community wouldn't think to do such a thing, but actually that's such a substantial offering to make to like win people's hearts. She's doing it to increase awareness about North and South Korea unity. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, if you hear more stories like that, it changes the conversation. It changes mm-hmm. it. So I would just say the best thing we can do is get that voice more out there and at the table, um, make sure it's represented. So the decisions that are being made represent everybody not just those large communities it's really unfortunate when there's a small community but then there's no one that steps up yeah to that plate funny because even in las vegas even though our community is pretty big there wasn't really an established youth group i mean i guess you can say that las vegas is pretty new compared to other communities because a lot of a lot of people here they come from other states and not not a lot of people actually like grew up here but there before before I kind of became youth group leader, uh, there wasn't an established youth group. So like, unless your community is fortunate enough to have somebody who's able to step up to that leadership position, they're kind of screwed. Basically, there's an uneven distribution of love, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because the smaller communities, they have communities and they should be cared just as much as the big communities. But it's just like this lack of effort to make to reach out to them. There has to be some kind of input from higher to grab and kind of jostle them around and like feed that love. Well, I mean, you're right. I, it's hard. I don't know the solution, first of all, because we right. don't have money to pay people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but if we had money to play, pay people, then, you know, we might be willing to go to the mm-hmm. next state over and be that kind of leader. Right. My my sense is as more and more young pastors step up, it's going to change because even in places like, you know, Alabama, you know, they, Lena and Jerio, they're a young pastor team. They don't have a youth leader, but because they're a young person, they get it. And the sensitivity of the education and the experience is friendly for everybody. And you'd be willing mm-hmm. to show up. Same thing with Colorado, with the Hentridges yeah. is that their whole design is, is focused on families so you you don't mind going, right? You're, it's not like you you need the little hub for young people because you can't stand church or you can't stand your leader or whatever it is. So hopefully as more young people step up, it shifts it a little bit and there's a little right. more love, but it takes the leader recognizing this person needs to shift or this needs to go here and really fighting for that. I mean, when we when I make recommendations for sub-regional coordinators for YAM, it takes me a long time and I talk to a lot of people to try to find the right person and I don't give up until I find that person. Mm-hmm. And I've got it on my to-do list like every day to work on it. So I think it takes that tenacity to really find the person who's willing to step up, even if they're over here, over here. Right. So it's the awareness too. I think there could be practical stuff that could be done, right? Having a, a meeting at least once a week with all the small leaders around the, in, the, mm-hmm. in the country, right? having them being able to present ideas that work, you know, stuff like that. And I think that even that level of love or that, that care that hire can put in would have a more significant impact than just doing nothing, ignoring, or like, you know, just waiting for someone to step up in their position. I like that idea. I mean, it reminds me too, when, when I first started doing youth ministry nationally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we didn't have subregions, So I organized them by community size. Right. And so we would meet, you know, once a month by community size to share ideas and things like that. And I think that's where a lot of my education came from, mm-hmm. too, about what it's like in different communities. But even just the benefit of small communities talking to each other and sharing ideas is great, because a lot of times we hear like L.A. is doing this and New Jersey's doing this. <laughs> and it's like, OK, that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. right. Yeah. So creating that space would be a really good idea just to mm-hmm. start with and having somebody listen as well. I feel like we as members have to do more to to meet in the middle, higher wants, right? Or like, let's say our leaders want. 
And I feel like it's never ending struggle where it's never even or like equal, right? Like I put enough energy and then so does my leaders or so does my community or so does, you know, whatever, right? Takes so much out of young people probably to make so much effort. You think I mean, that- you're right. And it burns a lot of young people out for mm-hmm. sure. It makes me feel like we haven't quite figured it out, right? If we're, if yeah, we're yeah. losing young people and we're burning young people out who want to do good stuff, mm-hmm. then we haven't quite made the shift that God is looking for right. to build communities we want. It's so, sad. We're crushing talent, smothering talent, or suffocating like those who want to succeed. So like, how many does it have to take? I mean, there's two parts of it, right? I think I come across a lot of peers and young, people younger than me who are starting to get angry or pissed off about church mm-hmm. leadership, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever we shift to this anger, mm-hmm. it's a reflection of us and not so much the church. I mean, I don't, you probably see all the stuff sure, on social yeah. media now, right? Of like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I got out and stuff like that. And I understand mm-hmm. those stories. I understand where it's coming from. But it also, I worry because we as people, just people, mm-hmm. my, our generation is mm-hmm. angry at the world right now. You know, whether it be mm-hmm. politics or like, you know, rights issues or whatever it is, we're angry. Mm-hmm. And that's not something I can be proud of. I get the anger, right. but it's something I've got to deal with because to really make a change, I use this example a lot these days. If I come at you swinging, what are you going to do? You're going to duck or you're going to swing back or you're going to you're going to be defensive, right? But if I come at you with a hug, what are you going to do? You're going to You're going to open your arms and hug me back, right? So <laughs> Right. Even though you can say this, right? And it's, it's very nice and it's on the real world, right? Like if I'm angry at someone or if I'm frustrated, right? I want to voice my frustrations, right? I want to be heard, right? Because that's why I'm frustrated, right? And something needs to be resolved, right? Yeah. But it's just like, so why can't that take place? It just feels like deny your feelings, deny completely and mm. get over it. Well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate that because mm. I can, I understand that's how it could come across. I think where I'm speaking from is like being married, for instance, mm-hmm. my husband and I get in fights all the time. We get frustrated with each other all the time. Right, right. That's how it's going to be. But when I come at him, like, David, why'd you do this? You're an idiot. You know, like if I do that, he's right. going to be like, no, it's because you did this. And, you know, we just, we just get into a fight mm. and no one feels good after that. And so you know, we've been married 12 years, maybe, I think. And we've gotten to this point where like, when we come at each other like that, we we say to each other, let's take a moment. And we take a few minutes and like we pray or we meditate or like we think about something and then we come back to the table. And the first thing we say to each other is, this is how I need to grow. And he'll say, this is how he needs to grow. And it just like wipes away the anger. And then we can talk about the problem and actually mm-hmm. solve it. Just my experience in life is the more anger in this situation for me, mm-hmm. it's not going to me like getting it out doesn't actually resolve anything. However, mm-hmm. I do get the, you know, your voice needs to be heard. You do need to get it out. Right. So if I'm civil about something and I want to, you know, voice these concerns or grievances or whatever, I just feel like it falls on deaf ears or they're just like, yeah, yeah, cool. You said something nice. And then they just move on. You know what I mean? It is important to know, like, I think we're, we have our own restorational course, right? Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. we are the first lineage of God's lineage. So I think that what we've gone through second generation, you know, older than me, especially, they've been through it really rough. When they were born, they thought that blessed children would be perfect and there would be nothing, they would never be influenced Mm. by Satan. And so imagine the shock of parents to see this selfishness in the children who don't want to share, right? Like as simple as that, all the way to the point where someone's drinking or smoking or dating, it's like total shock to our parents. I know for my parents, it was told my sister left the church and went a certain way. Mm. 
And my parents were shocked by it. And, you know, we're good now. We love each other. We take care of each other. But I think our, the whole generation of first gen needed to learn actually, we still have to be parents. We still have to take mm-hmm. care of people, but they're not perfect. I'm not perfect as a mom. So <laughs> I like hearing you, Toya, is a good reminder of how I need to listen more, right? I need mm-hmm. to not just like try to solve it, but just take the time to listen. And mm-hmm. uh, that's something our elders need to hear for sure. And our leaders need to hear. So where can our voices be heard? I mean, I think you're already doing it. Your podcast is a good example yeah, yeah. of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's from my initiative, right? I think with that, it's all about relationships. Just even just having a conversation with like somebody in your community, I think that goes a long way. I, I love one-on-ones and I love like talking to a- anyone really, mm-hmm. first gen, second gen, it doesn't really matter. And just having those conversations where you're really open and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I know it's just between us two, but it can have like a ripple effect. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as you get your voice out to somebody, anybody, then it, <laughs> yeah. it starts there. Because I was talking to my dad about how we can, you know, he tribal messiahship and then we we have Zoom calls every week. And then we he asked us all a question, like, what can you do to change the world? I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I never thought that far ahead. But then other people were saying like, well, it's not really just about the big picture. It's It's all, it starts small, like even just starting something in your community, starting something in your family even, mm-hmm. or starting with just your a relationship with your neighbor, that's changed in a long roundabout way. It's changing the yeah. world. What I want to say here can combine the issue in the small community and the issue of second gen bringing their ideas to the table. Right. But Tori, you mentioned your trusted first gen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if we can find... <laughs> There, if you find them, right? There's a, there's enough of them that you can probably find one within your state. Hopefully, if you can't, yeah. you know, let me know. We'll figure it out. But if you can find a trusted first gen that can also be a mediator for you and your ideas to the yeah. pastor or to the leadership, it helps a lot. I know for me, as a young fiery youth pastor in my community, I had Aunt Bev burnt who was with me for 10 years. And mm. she was basically my pastor, right? She was the one I went to and she's the one I ran things by, but she mm. also represented me to the pastor and to the adult congregation. And I, I found oftentimes that I would say something to the congregation and it would be received the wrong way, or you know, it would make parents angry or something like that. But because of her who understood my heart and I understood her heart, she could help smooth those things out. And so I got to the point where if like an angry parent came at me, I'd be like, hold on, let's bring Aunt Bev into the conversation. And we would do that as a group, right? Mm-hmm. And it saved me so much heartache. So that might be one good action step. Like if, if someone's out there who's going through that and feeling frustrated, like my ideas are not coming across or I don't know where to go or there's nothing happening. Mm-hmm. If you can find one trusted first gen to talk to, to help be a mediator, to make the change you want to see, it can help a lot. Yeah, because this is a big problem that we're trying to solve. So It is. I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. And thank you again, Kaylee, for coming on the show. Thank if, you. Uh, people want to f- find you on social media, reach out to you. What do you have for them? If they want to find me. <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know, if they say hi, reach out or just follow you. I don't know. We, we always plug people. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not that cool, I think, but I have some fun family stories on my Instagram and my so- and Facebook so you can watch my children playing in the sprinkler. <laughs> Amazing. Did I All just right. like totally end on a bad note? No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, Guys, thanks for having me and thanks for doing this. Right. It's and really yeah, cool. thank you. Thank you. Uh, 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 uh,